Combat sports is full of superstars, and each era new ones pop up seemingly out of nowhere, while those that were once the hottest thing in town often fade into obscurity. Regardless of his recent losses and let's face it, drop in popularity, Conor McGregor is still the biggest star in the UFC. Before him were the likes of Chuck Liddell or even Hoist Gracie at the very beginning. But outside of the biggest MMA organization, other promotions have their own superstars. Fighters that you would instantly associate with the promotion would often headline their biggest shows or have carved out a legacy both strong enough to stand the test of time and impressive enough to stand out when compared to the others. I'm Balian from MMA On Point. And happy holidays from the boys at Jocko. That's right, Jocko Fuel is back with their brand new pre-workout for the festive big boys. So get your 10% off using the exclusive code MMA On Point and with your subscription, get free shipping and stock up on your fuel over at jockofuel.com for the ultimate pre-workout boost. Anyways, more on that later. For now though, here are the 10 fighters that personified their promotions. Number 10. One Championship, Ong La Unsung. One Championship opened its doors back in 2011 in Singapore and it already had a TV network deal with Mediacorp as well as Sherdog who streamed the event worldwide, leading it to being described as the biggest event in Asian mixed martial arts history. I'm not so sure about that, but the promotion was off to a good start. Dream legends Shinya Aoki and Bibiana Fernandez were excellent additions to the early roster and between them they headlined 1, 5, 6, 8, 11, 15 and 19, doing a lot for the early years of the promotion. But it was at 117 Era of Champions where the Burmese Python Angla and Sung would make his emphatic debut, winning by KO in just one minute. His next fight would be in his home country of Myanmar, which he won, making him a goddamn national hero. He continued a four-fight win streak until he battled for the title in 2016, fell short against Vitaly Big Dash, but was granted a rematch the following year and claimed the one middleweight title, becoming Myanmar's first world champion ever. From here, his dominance continued until he became the promotion's first champ champ in 2018 when he won the light heavyweight title in less than one minute, TKOing Alexandre Machado at one quest for gold. As well as continuing to beat back contenders, he spoke excellent English during interviews. Let's go and not only fought for one, but promoted their values, telling MMA Junkie they're about martial arts, respect, and uplifting human values rather than selling fights. Talk about a poster boy, eh? Then he headlined one of the biggest events in one history. At one championship century, they had the final of their flyweight Grand Prix, the final of the lightweight Grand Prix, atomweight and bantamweight title fights, and it was all headlined by Unsung versus Brandon Vera, the heavyweight champion who was challenging him for his light heavyweight belt. And guess what? He only went and beat him. This night was certainly his crowning moment in the promotion. He was above names like Dimitri Johnson, Christian Lee, Bibiado Fernandez, Rod Tang, and Aoki on the card. While he would go on to lose both of his belts in what would be considered a passing of the torch moment to Ryan Ritter, there's no doubting his time as the face of the promotion. Number 9. Elite XC, Kimbo Slice. I'm betting most of you weren't around to watch an Elite XC show. I mean, you only had about a year and a half to catch an event. After just 20 of them, they unfortunately collapsed in one of MMA's most hilarious comedy of errors. But as with any new promotion, you need talent to promote it. And you know what? They actually did a good job securing names with Henzo Gracie, Frank Shamrock, Gina Carano, and Nick Diaz all making appearances. A lot of these were only singular fights, but with the signing of Kimbo Slice, the famed YouTuber Street Fighter, they finally had some talent they could homegrow themselves. Kimbo had made his pro debut at Elite XC Renegade, and they did a fantastic job capitalizing on the hype of the incoming viral star. Things went pretty much perfectly as Kimbo came out marauding and sliced off the head of Cantrell in a fight that was almost too easy. He repeated this performance in the main event of Elite XC Street Certified against the aging UFC legend and pit fighter Tank Abbott, proving that the streets of Florida are tougher than Cali. When they signed a deal with CBS in 2008 to broadcast MMA Live on primetime US television, they gave him another headlining show and veteran name in James Thompson. It wasn't glorious, but by this point, if Elite XC had a face, Kimbo was it. Homegrown and consistent star and one that could pull numbers. Unfortunately, he lost a late-notice replacement Seth Petrozelli, who then told media he'd been offered an incentive to stand and strike with him and, well, the whole thing unraveled. Kimbo cut his teeth there, however, and for that brief period, he was the star of Elite XC. Number 8. Ryzen, Kyoji Horiguchi 
After seeing Kyoji Horiguchi do what many 125ers in the UFC did, fight for a title in less than two years and come up short against the most dominant champion ever, it was hard to believe he would go on to have the success he's had. In fact, for a period of 21 fights, Demetrius Johnson was the only loss on his record. His title challenge came at UFC 186 and then signed with the two-year-old Japanese promotion, Ryzen. Horiguchi gave multiple reasons for leaving the promotion, including the chance to fight in Japan in front of his master, Hiro Nahai, who was sadly battling cancer. They even did a special intro at Ryzen 11 to pay him tribute after he passed away. Before that, he died dominated the 2017 Bantamweight Grand Prix, beating three fighters in two days and was set up in super fights like his clash with famed Japanese kickboxer Tenjin Nasukawa at Ryzen 13. He lost, but it still served its purpose in placing him at the head of the promotion. Then after defending his title and jumping over to Bellator to beat their champion Darian Coldwell, it was pretty much undisputed that Horiguchi was the face and things couldn't have worked out better. Undeniably, he was one of the greatest flyweights on the planet, followed in the footsteps of one of the greatest Japanese fighters in Kid Yamamoto and had done what any champion outside the UFC is supposed to do, make people question if they really did have the best fighters. He recently moved to Bellator, fought for their bantamweight title, which, to be fair, is up a weight class as one's divisions are shifted, but he was KO'd in a fight he was unquestionably winning. Does that hurt his stock in Ryzen? Not really. He's already secured his place as a legend of the promotion. Number 7. Dream Shinya Aoki I remember back in 2011 when I was just getting into the sport, spending hours on YouTube looking up legends like Bass Rutan and Krokop, watching their endless highlight reels of destruction. That was until I came across a man who, instead of blasting his opponents, was twisting their bodies in the most horrifying positions imaginable, all while giving them the finger, showing no remorse as they contorted in pain on the canvas. Yup. The Tobikan Judan, or master of flying submissions, Shinya Aoki was a snatcher of limbs who competed across many promotions in his formative years, but would really come into his own in the Japanese promotion dream. He competed in their first ever event in 2008 as part of the inaugural lightweight tournament against Jay-Z Cavalcante, but the fight was declared a no contest after illegal elbows. They rematched a month later, and although Aoki would reach the finale, he was stopped by Joaquim Hansen. But he went on to heel-hook Eddie Alvarez and claim the WA MMA lightweight championship at Field Dynamite 2008 and returned to Dream ready to capture the title. Just one year later, in a rematch with Hansen, he sunk in an armbar in the second round and was awarded the championship, a belt he would never lose. He continued to put on dominant performances in Dream, being one of their only consistent champions holding and defending the belt across two years, something no other champion did. Yes, there were big names in Dream like Masasi, Overeem, Bibiano Fernandez, even Jacare, and yes, they all won titles, but they also all left the promotion, had only a handful of fights, and Shinya was still standing once they had all moved on, still champion as the promotion shut down. He had a record of 13-2 in Dream when it was all said and done, and would go on to have another championship legacy in one. If you haven't seen him fight, I urge you to go back and watch some of the destructive submissions and the look of terror on his opponent's faces. Number 6. KSW Mamed Kalidov. Polish promotion KSW might very well be the biggest MMA organization in Europe. Certainly based on the size and scale of the shows they put on, it feels that way, and it's no wonder as they have been operating for over 17 years. And they've had their own fair share of dominant champions. Phil de Fries has been holding the heavyweight belt since 2018 with five defenses, along with Tomasz Narkin, who's had his strap since 2015. UFC star Mateusz Gamrot held the belt for four years before leaving, and new star Robocop has certainly been fueling his own media hype train with the ferocity of his performances. But before even they arrived, man, Ahmed Kaladov was already being called a superstar of the promotion. As a Chechen native and Polish citizen, he instantly had a rapport with the fanbase. His first appearance in KSW was way back in 2007 at KSW 7, where he picked up a first-round TKO. He would then remain undefeated in the promotion for 10 years, where he won 17 fights, with only three of them making it to the scorecards. Yeah. He not only won, but in most cases, absolutely dominated his opponents, winning the first-ever KSW Light Heavyweight Championship back in 2009, vacating with his move down to middle 
middleweight where he won the title from four-time defending Michal Matera. In fact, across a 12-year and 30-fight streak, he lost only once, a unanimous five-round decision against Sengoku champion Jorge Santiago. He has headlined no less than 13 events for the promotion, cementing his place at the top of the KSW Mount Rushmore. Now, one of the most anticipated matches in KSW history is about to take place between the aforementioned welterweight champion Roberto Robocop Soldic and Kaladov at KSW 65. Truly a clash of old versus new and potentially a passing of the torch, but until then, Kaladov is still the golden child. Well, maybe dad now. Number 5. The PFL Kayla Harrison. Undisputedly, there's one king of the professional fighters league, or in this case, a queen. Kayla Harrison has slowly but surely built herself into the most popular, dominating, and undeniable female fighter outside of the UFC. Her record as of 2021 stands at 12-0, with seven of those coming by way of first round finish against several opponents who simply couldn't match her mixed martial arts prowess in any shape or form. And at this point, she doesn't really need to go anywhere else. Usually competing at lightweight, but having successfully made featherweight for an Invicta contest, this division doesn't exist in the UFC, and even if she did sign for a few fights, there's not exactly a heap of competition waiting for her. Instead, she won both the 2019 and now 2021 lightweight tournaments, netting herself $2 million in prize money. How much are you offering Dana? She's also a complete homegrown star, beginning with her debut at PFL 2 in 2018. Most of the other champions have come over from other organizations to throw their hat in for a chance at $1 million. Ray Cooper III, Lance Palmer, and Nathan Short have all also won the PFL tournament twice, but their popularity pales in comparison to that of Harrison, who makes headlines on MMA media sites whenever she competes. Before it became the PFL, it was World Series of Fighting, which again had a whole host of MMA talent, including Mr. Justin Gaethje, who at the time was certainly the golden boy of the promotion. But since it's become the PFL and started up the tournaments, there's really only one face, and she headlined three major shows in 2021 alone. Number four, the WEC, Uriah Faber. The early career of Uriah Faber was easily one of the most impressive at the time. He won his first 20 fights almost exclusively by finish with 8 submissions, 10 TKOs and only 2 decisions, his only loss at the time coming to Tyson Griffin in a battle for the Gladiator Challenge Bantamweight title in 2005. But it didn't matter to Faber, who after making his debut at WEC 19 one year later, captured the featherweight title against Cole Escovedo. At this point, he still held and had defended the King of the Cage Bantamweight title 3 times and then after returning to Gladiator Combat later in the year, recaptured that title as well, making him the holder of three belts in major MMA organizations simultaneously. The WEC operated exclusively on the west coast of the USA. Faber, known as a California kid, had his home base in Sacramento, meaning he was pretty much the perfect champion to headline those shows. And headline he did, main eventing eight out of the 11 fight cards he was a part of over the next three years, several of these being in his hometown of Sacramento, where he received a hero's welcome every time. He defended his title more than any fighter in WC history, a record five times. And although they had legends like Miguel Torres, Cruz, and of course Aldo pass through their doors, the latter two would go on to find success in the UFC, and Torres, although dominant for years, wasn't anywhere near as popular as Faber. For a period, it became impossible not to associate the California kid as the king of the lighter weight classes in the most stacked and competitive organization at the time. Number 3. Bellator Michael Chandler Bellator have certainly developed a knack over the years for fostering homegrown talent, picking up fighters early in their career, securing them the right matchups, and pushing them as stars when they're ready. One of the first early and successful examples of this was none other than Michael Chandler, who joined the promotion just 3-0. After winning the Season 4 lightweight tournament, he faced champion Eddie Alvarez, who at the time was the biggest star in the promotion, mainly due to his escapades outside of it. Chandler shocked the world as an unknown fighter, putting on, at the time, quite possibly the greatest lightweight fight ever. Mike wasn't really supposed to win, and he went on to defend the title three times, stopping each opponent 
opponent in devastating fashion. Until Eddie Alvarez got the rematch he was looking for and the two went back to war with Eddie winning via split decision and up and vacating the title right after to join the UFC. Will Brooks earned a shot and twice beat Chandler but no sooner had he won he also disappeared to the UFC. The position of Bellator poster boy was wide open and given that most other fighters were moving on Chandler took full advantage recapturing the title with a first round KO in a highly anticipated rematch against Patricky Pitbull. At this point he'd had seven title fights and was a two-time champion. Andy's fights with Alvarez and subsequent performances had done enough to make him one of the most talked about names outside of the UFC. He went on to recapture the title for a third time after a freak injury loss and truly became Mr. Bellator, headlining a total of 11 main events across his 10 years with the promotion. AJ McKee looks positioned to take his crown, but after Chandler, that title is still wide open. Number two, Pancrase, Baz Rutten. It's almost impossible to picture the Pancrase ring without Baz Rutten in it. His dynamic fighting style, aggressive and punishing striking, and dangerous submission game made him a mixed martial arts force to be reckoned with. And as the king of Pancrase, he built a legacy that still stands the test of time. This and his absolutely undeniable personality endured fans to him in a way that is rarely seen even in the modern day. His actual run through Pancrase was also pretty incredible. He lost by Nibar to Ken Shamrock in his first attempt at the king of Pancrase title, but over the next three years amassed a 17-fight unbeaten streak in the promotion claiming the title of king for himself, defending and never officially losing it, choosing instead to relinquish the crown in order to focus on his family. He beat everyone Pancrase had to offer. Frank Shamrock, Guy Mezga, Maurice Smith, Funaki, Suzuki, many of whom who had success in Pancrase, some even founders of the organization, but none who had the same continued success as Bass. He headlined the anniversary show in 1995, beating Suzuki in an absolute war, and then repeated this performance the following year against Funaki in what was easily the greatest Pancrase fight of all time. And although that was his last defense of the title, he'd already been placed as the poster boy for the promotion. The only real lasting star from the organization and the popularity from his work outside of the ring bang, bang. only further endured fans to his performances in it. And before we get to number one, we've got a few honorable mentions to cover. Invicta has done a lot for women's MMA, but other than Cyborg, for a brief period, they never had a single standout fighter. The same can be said of Cage Warriors with Conor McGregor. Shooter had some big names like Inoue, Shamrock, and Gracie, but they all made their names elsewhere. Strikeforce had a whole host of talent, and you probably lean towards Nick Diaz, but his popularity soared once he was back in the UFC. M1 and Affliction both had Fedor, but he didn't compete in that many shows and was also a legend elsewhere. Number 1. Pride, Vandalay Silva now, don't get me wrong, Pride had a lot of superstars. Yes, of course, Fedor found incredible success and fame, as did Krokop, even Nagera, and for a time, the undisputed king of Japan was undeniably Sakuraba, but the man who came along to steal his championship would also take that title from him as well. The axe murder of Vandalay Silva wasn't an immediate start in Pride. Heck, his loss to Tito Ortiz in 2000 at UFC 25 had fans dismissing his chances, but he quickly and violently made his way up the Pride rankings in his return, and at the start of 2001, he fought the reigning middleweight champion Sakuraba at Pride, 13 collision course and absolutely obliterated him. Saku was the king at the time and no one gave Vandy a chance, but the man was a vengeful berserker delivering unyielding punishment and always taking advantage of Pride's unique rule set. They would rematch at Pride 17, this time for the title which Vandalay claimed and held onto for the next six years. During that time, he headlined eight Pride shows and finished 11 of his opponents. Pride fans celebrated fighting with your heart and giving your all no matter the outcome. Yeah, that. And they also celebrated Vandy kicking the out of people. How could they not? He had the most menacing stare-down game in the sport, walked out to the banger Darude Sandstorm, and became the most prolific knockout artist in Pride history. Granted, him and Krokop are tied at 16, and the Croatian and Fedor do deserve recognition for what they achieved in the promotion, but they had success before and after Pride, and ever since Vandy took the crown from Sakuraba, he promised only one thing. Violence, and the fans loved him for it. 
I just want to give a big, big shout out to the official fuel of MMA on Point, Jocko Fuel, and ding dong, happy holidays to you as the boys are back to offer 10% off in their brand new pre-workout. With healthy levels of caffeine paired with theanine to support a balanced stimulant experience and citrulline and theobromine promoting sustainable muscle pump and stamina. Work off that extra helping of turkey with ease. So get your 10% off using the exclusive code MMA on Point and with your subscription, get your free shipping and stock up on fuel over at originmain.com slash jocko-fuel for the ultimate boost and go on living your best life and kicking some ass. Happy holidays, everyone. Big shout out to Luke Taylor for editing this video. You can find him and some of his amazing artwork on Twitter at cool to me underscore. Shout out to Ben Rosette and the excellent music he provided during the intro video. His music can be found on streaming platforms everywhere. There is a link in the description and follow him at Ben Rosette on Instagram and on Twitter. Thanks so much for watching today, guys. Remember to like and subscribe. I'll see you in the next one.